From Tokyo, Japan, I'm Franklin, and you're listening to the Rock Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, Professor Dan Belsky talks about the science of aging. So stay tuned right here for all this here on the Rock Science Show. Welcome back to the program. And joining us on this week's show is our very special guest, Professor Dan Belsky from the School of Medicine at Duke University.、Uh, he and his colleagues have recently published a paper in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science on Aging. Professor Belsky, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me.、Uh, so,、uh, certainly a very、uh, topic that, that's on. Many people's minds, even for people who are、uh, well read but not experts, when people think about aging, they think about oxidation,、uh, telomeres,、uh, less resilience of the immune system. But could you first of all give us a, a definition of what aging is based on the current science? Sure. So, the way the, the working definition we use of the aging process in our work is The gradual and progressive deterioration of multiple organ systems throughout the body in a coordinated fashion. And so the idea is that、uh, as we get older, there、uh, is an accumulation of damage,、uh, not just to the cardiovascular system, not just to the immune system, not just to the pulmonary system,、uh, but that spans、uh, all the organ systems throughout the human body.、Um, and if that's the case, then it becomes possible to measure this aging process. By tracking that coordinated decline across organ systems. In this study,、uh, you looked at certain biomarkers for people who are now currently aged about 38 or 39 years old and looked at how these biomarkers have changed over their lifetimes.、Uh, could you tell us a little bit about this work and how you were able to collect this data? Sure. So we studied. Uh, just under a thousand people who were part of the Dunedin Longitudinal Study.、Uh, and this is a cohort of babies who were all born、uh, in the Queen Mary Hospital in Dunedin, New Zealand between 1972 and 1973. All the babies born in the hospital in that year. And they've been followed up now for the subsequent four decades.、Um, beginning when they were 26, we collected samples of their blood、uh, and administered a number of、uh, clinical exams. And that's where the data that we used in this study came from. So, in this particular study, to, to quantify the aging process in these individuals, we did two different things.、Um, first, we took a snapshot of their physiology at the most recent、uh, follow up when they were aged 38 years. And to take this snapshot, we used a set of 10 biomarkers、uh, and an algorithm that had been developed from、uh, a study conducted by the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention called the NHANE. That's a large population based epidemiologic survey、uh, where they examine Thousands of people of all different chronological ages.、Uh, and my colleague, Morgan Levine,、uh, who's a co author on our paper in the proceedings,、um, 
conducted an analysis of that database to develop an algorithm to uh, assign a biological age to a person based on their levels of 10 different biomarkers. And, and essentially the way that algorithm works is by looking across people between the ages of, um, uh, from, from young to old ages in the NHANES, uh, and asking what is the normative level of a biomarker like C-reactive protein, which gives you an assessment of the immune system's function, uh, in people who are 30, who are 40, who are 50, who are 60. And then if you have the C-reactive protein level of the average 50-year-old, that pushes you toward a biological age of 50. Um, and for, so we did this for 10 different biomarkers, and we assigned our study members biological ages. Uh, and we were quite surprised to, to see the amount of variation in this biological age measure uh, that we could observe in these people. They ranged in their biological ages from under 30 all the way to over 60, even though they were all chronologically just 38 years old. Um, so the second thing we did was to ask whether this variation we saw in biological age when they were 38 years old chronologically reflected a process of recent change. So were these people aging at different rates over the past decade? Uh, and to ask that question, we looked at 18 different biomarkers that had been measured the same way uh, when the study members were 26, 32, and 38 years old. So using these repeated measurements of these 18 biomarkers, we could chart their change over the 12-year period of each study number and then combine information on how those 18 biomarkers changed to calculate each study member's pace of aging. Now, because we had a population-based birth cohort, we were able to use the central tendency of that pace of aging in the birth cohort um, as a reference for the amount of change in these physiological parameters we would expect for a single chronological year. And we could then quantify how fast people were aging in that metric of years of physiological change per chronological year of time. And study members range from aging not at all. They looked identical physiologically at 26 and at 38. Um, to aging as much as two to three times as fast as the population norm. So aging two to three years for the passage of each chronological year. In, in these people who have aged faster, did you also look at uh, what, what are the factors that contributed to, the, to this accelerated aging? So in this study, we didn't test what might cause some people to age faster or more slowly. That's work we're doing now. What we did do in this study was ask whether the measurements we took of the aging process corresponded to the lived experience uh, of aging that our study members uh, went through. Uh, so what we did was we administered a number of tests that gerontologists uh, and geriatricians typically use to evaluate functioning and aging processes in much older adults, people who are in their 70s and 80s. We tested their balance. We tested their strength. We tested their motor coordination. We interviewed them about uh, what are called physical limitations, so having difficulty climbing a flight of stairs, walking a mile, carrying a bag of groceries. And we also tested their cognitive function. And what we saw from these assessments was that the study members we measured to be aging faster were showing uh, diminished physical functionality. So they had poorer balance. They had uh, less motor coordination. They were not as strong, and they were more likely to report having physical limitations. With respect to their cognitive functioning, we were in fact able to look at cognitive change because we had archival data on the performance on the very same cognitive test from when they were uh, children and then again when they were 38 years old. And we could look at the differences between those test scores to evaluate whether people who were aging faster had in fact suffered uh, a loss of cognitive function over time. And in fact, those study members who were aging faster had 
experienced a decline in cognitive function since childhood. I, I think in one of the headlines on the AAAS site, it, it mentions that it's your, your article saying that the appearance of aging reflects the age of the organs. Is that an accurate description or conclusion from your yeah, findings? Yeah, that's correct. So, so something else that we did was we, we had uh, high-resolution facial images, so photographs of our study members. Uh, they were taken when they were 38 years old. And we showed those photographs to panels of undergraduate students at Duke University. And the undergraduate students rated those photographs as looking young or looking old. They didn't know uh, what the the real ages of the people in the photographs were. Um, And what we found was that those study members we had measured as aging faster were also rated as looking older by these undergraduates. Uh, I think there's been previous studies which says that, you know, different organs in your body age at different rates. Does that overturn those notions or is... Are no, I, they... I don't think so. Um, I think, uh, you know, in this particular study, we didn't try, we, we didn't start out with any um, uh, prior assumptions about how fast different organ systems were changing. We certainly observed differences in the rate at which different biomarkers changed in the study. Um, but what was most striking was that no particular biomarker was central to capturing the aging process, at least as uh, was indicated by the relationship between measured aging and these various indices of physical and cognitive function that we use to, to essentially validate our measurement. Um, so the message is that aging isn't about uh, one particular organ system leading the way. It's about change that accumulates from across the different organ systems throughout the body. Uh, in the future, uh, we hope to do work to refine our measurement of the pace of aging that may build in information about how different organ systems age at different rates during different times in the life course. So uh, the organ system that is aging most rapidly in your 20s and 30s may be different from the organ system uh, that shows the most rapid aging uh, in later decades of life. Uh, and in, in terms of these biomarkers, are, are there one or two that really stand out in, in terms of the overall assessment? No, again, I think the message is that it's in the um, accumulating information from multiple biomarkers that tap many different organ systems throughout the body uh, that the signal of the aging process comes about. Um, So there is no one or two biomarkers that we could track from our study uh, and and measure aging with those. I think over time we may be able to do some analyses to refine our algorithms so they can rely on slight biomarkers, but I don't expect to be able to get down one or two. I'm just curious, were there any uh, unexpected findings or did it overturn any hypothesis you had at the beginning of the study? Well, so I think that certainly we got feedback as we were developing this project from people who were confident that we would not be able to detect any regular change with the passage of time in these biomarkers that we were studying. So because these are biomarkers typically studied in the context of chronic disease or aging late in life, they're not measurements that people have studied longitudinally in samples of young people. And so there was some uncertainty about whether we would be able to see regular age-dependent change in, in, in log lipids, in uh, lipid hemoglobin, in cardiorespiratory fitness, in anthropometric parameters. Uh, but we, we did. Um, we did see this regular change. So I think that was the first uh, you know, prize. In some sense, it was our hypothesis we would see this, but it wasn't something that has already existed in other data. The second surprise just how much variation existed in this pattern of change in these biomarkers over time in this cohort of 1,000 people. They're really, you know, people aging not at all uh, and, and people aging many times faster than, than their peers. 
Uh, and then finally, I think the fact that uh, the variation that we did see in this aging process corresponded to real physical differences in what people were able to do. And especially, I think, the data about cognitive decline are very striking. And the data on cognitive decline, was that something you also measured or was that separate yeah, so from the as I, as I said before, um, we analyzed the performance of study members on a panel of cognitive tests. And we had archival records of their performance on those very same cognitive tests from when they were children. And what we observed was that study members who had, who we measured as aging faster, performed worse on those cognitive tests when they were 38 years old. And in fact, when we compared their test scores at 38 to their test scores from childhood, we saw that the fast aging study members had declined in their performance from childhood. So evidence that their cognitive functioning was changing uh, and for the worse. And this is independent of, say, environmental factors or their like recent state of sleep or lack of sleep? So again, uh, we didn't study what might cause some people to be aging more rapidly or more slowly. Uh, things like environmental exposures, diet, sleep, uh, other health behaviors all likely contribute to the aging process. As you mentioned, the what you plan to do now is to look at the factors that underlie these the aging uh, contributions, is that right? Yes, that's right. So some of the next steps are to investigate what may cause people to age more rapidly or more slowly. And the reason uh, that's important is that those discoveries can lead to maybe preventative measures or uh, new therapies to slow down the aging process. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, you mentioned the uh, CRP uh protein as one of the biomarkers, is that, uh, are you looking at the, the regular level of CRP or are you looking at CRP in reaction to certain pathogens? No, we're looking at, at circulating levels of C-reactive protein in blood absent any kind of stimulus. Uh, I guess we have a little bit of time. I'm curious to know a little bit about your other work, uh, particularly with, with asthma. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your research in that field? Sure. We, we've done uh, a couple of studies on asthma to date. Uh, one of those studies was about investigating how genetic risks for asthma that had been discovered in these big uh, uh, data mining studies of the human genome called uh, genome-wide association studies, how the discoveries from, from those studies are related to the you fancy the word, developmental pathogenesis of asthma, but, but how we get from being born with a particular DNA sequence uh, to develop into uh, asthmatic cases and asthma-free controls. And then the other study of asthma we did was in looking at the potential relationship between asthma and cellular aging. And, and there, uh, there had been a report that older individuals who had uh, asthma also showed uh, shorter telomeres these uh, protective caps at the ends of our, uh, our chromosomes that protect DNA from damage. And, and so I think what's interesting about these two studies, they asked very different questions. They were both in some sense related to the genome and to asthma. Uh, and they both came to you know, a similar kind of conclusion insofar as they point to changes that are occurring very early in development um, as the mechanism connecting uh, the genome with, with the disease of asthma that, that we might see in the clinic. So uh, I'll, I'll go backwards, maybe starting with the, the telomere study. What we found was that for individuals who had asthma, it was only those who had had severe and chronic asthma from very early in childhood who showed shorter telomeres. In contrast, people who developed asthma uh, later in childhood, in adolescence or adulthood, 
uh, were, their asthma was not necessarily characterized by these shorter telomeres. And I guess a further observation we made was that the particular form of asthma appeared to be characterized by eosinophilic uh, inflammation. So there, there are different uh, inflammatory mechanisms to characterize emerging subtypes of asthma, and certainly the molecular phenotype of asthma is um, a, a work in progress, and we were using very, very coarse molecular phenotypes. Uh, but what we did see was that uh, the asthma characterized by early onset chronic persistence and shorter telomeres was also characterized by persistent eosinophilic inflammation. So those were the findings in that case. I, I think the takeaway then becomes one that uh, the connection between asthma and aging is one that occurs very early, and it may be the case that asthma uh, and, and the sort of dysregulation of immune processes that give rise to asthma are drivers of accelerated aging in lung and not the other way around, as had been suggested by previous studies, perhaps. Uh, again, uh, what, what we discovered there was that um, genetic risks discovered for asthma were related in particular to an early onset form of the disease characterized by persistent airway hyperresponsiveness and leading to airway remodeling and, 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 and therefore persisting through adulthood. So uh, asthma that, that onset early and remitted or asthma that onset late uh, were not related to uh, these genetic discoveries, whereas the life course persistent, the early onset life course persistent form, was related to these genetic discoveries. And that, that suggests maybe that we're moving toward a place where we can use genetic profiles of children with asthma uh, to improve prognosis of disease, although admittedly we're, we're still a long way off from, from being ready for clinical translation with, with something like that. So I, I guess we are running a little bit out of time. I just wanted to ask you very quickly, you know, many doctors have said that asthma is a, is a persistent condition that basically lasts, you know, a patient's uh, lifetime. You know, based on, on your understanding of the physiology, do you believe asthma can be reversed or at least drastically diminished with proper treatment? So, you know, I think um, what I can speak to is the epidemiologic data more so than, than the physiology. And really, the, the one of the world experts on this is my colleague, Malcolm Sears, uh, who's a co-author on my, my asthma work and has really been my mentor in research on asthma. I think in his view, uh, he would say that, that effective management can certainly uh, limit the uh, degree of disruption asthma causes in life and may mitigate its more uh, severe adverse consequences. Whether asthma can be cured, I think, remains uncertain. It is the case that we observe people who manifest symptoms of asthma as children and then go on to live uh, adult lives, at least through the middle of the life course, relatively free of asthmatic symptomatology. What those cases can teach us about how we might seek to uh, reverse the damage of asthma or mitigate the symptoms of asthma in the cases whose symptoms don't remit, I think, remains to be seen. Okay, great. Well, um, I, I guess we are out of time here. Are, are there any last words you'd like to add about uh, your work or yourself? I think the final note I would leave uh, your audience with is that um, none of these studies would be possible without the extraordinary efforts of the team that collects data on this Dunedin birth cohort. And these birth cohort studies, Dunedin, the British birth cohort studies, the ALSPAC study, and the Avon Longitudinal Study of Parents and Children, it's called the National Longitudinal Study of Adolescent and Adult Health, um, ongoing, large-scale, longitudinal observational research projects are absolutely essential to furthering the cause of uh, sort of the next generation of molecular medicine because they allow us to ask how uh, biological parameters that we uncover in controlled experiments actually behave uh, in free-living humans. 
um, and, and how they change over time in free living humans. And I think uh, that's something that, that many experimentalists don't think about very much um, and perhaps they should more. Professor Belsky, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And we were just talking to Professor Dan Belsky from the School of Medicine at Duke University. We were just discussing his recent article in the Proceedings of the National Academies of Science on the science of aging. Uh, we also discussed his work in asthma and how it relates to the aging process. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in again next week for more from the world of science, technology, and the way they affect our daily lives. In the meantime, you can check us on the web at www.grox.net, on Facebook, and Twitter. You can also email us at science at grox.net. For Grox Science, I'm Franklin. Stay tuned here for more music.